Ephesians, of course, is a book that was written in the mid-50s A.D. It was a place where Paul in Acts chapter 19, we read, lived for two years, raised up men to help lead the church, and then he moved on to Macedonia, and he writes back to the Ephesian church six years later, around A.D. 62, and he exhorts them of all of the cool things that are yours in Christ, the wealth that is yours. So now how do you walk in a manner worthy of that calling? And he talks about unity. He talks about maturity. He talks about growing in wisdom. He gets real practical and talks about the home. And then he talks about spiritual warfare. And if we as a church are gonna learn how to use our gifts in ministry, then we need to understand what it means to walk worthy of our calling. Welcome to the Trinity Presbyterian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. Trinity is a member congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America and the Acts 29 Network. We are located in Owasso, Oklahoma. Follow us at trinityowasso.com. Also, find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Trinity Owasso. In Ephesians chapter 4, I'll read verses 1 through 16. I therefore... A prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I don't know what you did over the break, over the snow break, (laughs) but my family watched a lot of movies. Anybody else watch movies in your house? We watched one like every night. One of the movies that we watched was that great blockbuster 1993 movie, Rookie of the Year. Rookie of the Year tells the story of, um, of, of Ian Nicholson, who, who stars Henry um, Rowan Gartner and Gary Busey, who, who plays this old 
worn out pitcher named Brett Stedman and it's a story of this little leaguer who's 12 years old and he, he slips on a baseball trying to catch a fly ball and he breaks his arm and tears his rotator cuff and he's, he's in a cast and when he heals from that cast, his tendons around his rotator cuff healed so tight that when he, that when he winds up to throw the ball, he unwinds 105 mile an hour fastballs. And one day at the Cubs game, he's sitting and he catches a, foul, a fly ball at the end of center field. And, and so he, he throws the ball back. But he throws it all the way from the middle of center field at Wrigley Field all the way into the catcher's mitt behind home plate. And the general manager's like, whoa, we stink. We need some help. Find that kid. And the story, of course, is a comedy. It's funny to watch. It's great for kids. But it's actually loosely based off of the life of Joe Nuxhole. Joe Nuxhole was the youngest player ever to pitch in the major leagues. He was 15 when his manager, uh, Bill McKinney, called him to play. The Cincinnati Reds were, were, were playing at Crossley Field against the then soon to be world champion St. Louis Cardinals. They were down 13 to nothing. They needed some help. And so the manager looked down at his young prodigy ace pitcher and tapped his hat, and Joe went in. And the first pitch he threw, he, he knocked out one of the St. Louis sluggers. He, he, he grounded him out, and he goes on to return to the majors years later and enters the Hall of Fame. Joe heard the call, and he responded, the call to get in the game. It's scary, but it's exhilarating to get into the game for the team. There's a college basketball player who went back to his hometown in Dallas during what was the Dixie Classic before it was the Cotton Bowl, and, and a reporter noticed this hometown kid and said, hey, would you help us? And would you come and sit in the, 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 uh, the press box with me and identify the players on the field? This, this guy knew most of the football players on his team. They were playing the number one team in the nation, Central College. They were 13-0. and 0. They were the best three All-Americans on that team. And they watched this game play out, this Dixie Classic back in 1922. And that first half, they just were getting slaughtered, this kid's team. The quarterback, the entire backfield was knocked out of the game in the first half. And at halftime, the, the coach, his name was Dana X. Bible. That's his real name. He looked up at the grandstand. He looked up into the press box trying to find somebody who could possibly come suit out because he needed people to play. And he saw this young basketball player named E. King Gill sitting in the press box. And he said to Gill, get down here. We need you. And so this basketball player tumbles down the, down the bleachers and he goes and he puts on the running back's uniform and he goes in the game for his team. The call, it's scary, but it is exhilarating to get into the game for the team. We know what that's like. There are men in our church, Brad Rutman, Eric Hall. Eric Hall right now is at drill, serving his nation. He receives a call. He goes when Brad Rutman or when John get a call. They don't ask questions. When they're deployed, they go and they serve their country. They, they go when they're called gladly. And brothers, thank you for your service to our nation. We're in debt to you. 
the call. It's scary, but it's exhilarating to get in the game for your team. The reality is the modern American church has a disease called affluenza. It's a disease where they prefer comfort and convenience over getting involved in the game. In the Western church, there's very little difference, it seems, between the world and the church these days. Depression, addiction is high. Big data, big porn, big addiction, they've captured us. Obesity has become such an issue in the church, it's become a health epidemic. The number of mental health cases that are skyrocketing across the nation right now is at an all-time high, not just because of the pandemic, but because the pandemic has sped trends that they've seen for a long time. The, the average lifespan in the two most developed countries in the world, the United States and Britain, has decreased the last four years running. Oh, friends... We need to hear the Lord's call upon us in his church because there is very little difference, it seems, many times between the world and between the covenant community that Christ has called to walk in a manner worthy of his calling. What is the purpose of Christ's call? It says in this text that to hear the call of Christ means to receive a gift from him. What is the purpose of Christ's gift? What is the price of Christ's gift? And what is the produce of Christ's gift? When you hear his call, when you employ his gift that he has given to you. First, what is the purpose of this gift that we read in Ephesians chapter 3. It says in verse 7, And grace was given to each one of you according to the measure of Christ's gift. What is that? When you see in the Bible the word call, you see it several times in the first three verses of chapter 4. You have to ask yourself, what is that call in the context? There is a primary call we as Christians receive from God the Father to place our faith in him and believe in him. Notice what the text says. I urge you, verse 1, to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Primary call. That is our justification in Christ. That we have been declared righteous because of his work for us through faith on the basis of grace. That's the primary call of a Christian. You see that throughout Ephesians chapter 1, for example. You've been called by the Father, predestined by him. Let's go on. The calling to which you have been called, again, a primary call, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. Verse 4, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. That's the primary call. And then he says, but, verse 7, but even in that call, Christ has given you another call. It's a gift. When he says in verse chapter 3, to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, he has given you a gift to do that. What's the purpose of Christ's call or gift to us? 
the purpose is to promote unity in Christ's church. It is to promote unity in his church. You see that down lower in the text. He says in verse 13, for example, until we attain to the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Unity, it's beautiful. Seven times he uses the word one in this passage. You heard Pastor Scott preach about it last week. One body, one spirit, one, 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 one. Three of those ones talk about the Holy Trinity, the the role of the Spirit, the role of the Son, the role of the Father. And the other four talk about our relationship to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we are called to be one. And unity is beautiful, isn't it, when you see it? Fenway, where's Paul DeLore? Fenway Park. You know, it, it, they, in the seventh inning, you know what they always sing at Fenway Park? Sweet Caroline in the seventh inning, every time the Boston Red Sox play. And after 9-11, Boston played the New York Yankees at Fenway Park. And if you know anything about, the, about Major League Baseball, you know that the Boston Red Sox hate the New York Yankees and vice versa. And here the Yankees come to Boston. In the seventh inning stretch, they stand up. And instead of playing Sweet Caroline, what do they play? They play the Yankees song, Frank Sinatra's New York, New York. And all the Fenway sung. It was beautiful. And then 12 years later, after the Boston Marathon bombing happened, the Boston Red Sox, the next game happened to be playing the New York Yankees at Yankee Stadium. In the middle of the third inning, what do they do? They play Neil Diamond's Sweet Caroline, the Boston Red Sox song, and the whole stadium sung it, and they unfurled a banner with both of their logos on it that said, United We Stand. Unity. It's beautiful. There was a girl who um, had an accident um, over the summer, and she had to have her arm amputated. And she waited for a long time uh, before she went back to school in the fall, and she wanted to go back to, she wanted to, go back to, to church first as kind of her foray back into social life. And this, this little girl came to church, but her mother called her Sunday school teacher and said, now she's, she's coming back to church, but would you please, would you please be gentle and careful not to do, like, don't do any crazy songs. She, she, she's still learning how to use one arm, and she feels really awkward socially. And so the teacher said, sure, of course, we'll totally protect her. And the teacher later that week got sick, and he had to call a substitute. And so the substitute came, and he taught the Sunday school class, and she's back for the first time, and the teacher said, okay, kids, let's get our arms out, and let's say, this is the church, this is the steeple, open it up, and here are all the people. It's just a fun little game that the Sunday school teacher thought, well, this will be great for the kids to do, except this little girl couldn't do it. And a little boy in his... her class came over to her without any instigation and he put his little hand up to hers and he said, let's do it together. Unity is beautiful when you see it. And that's what the Apostle Paul calls his church to. When you're in the ICU waiting room, there are no Sooners and Cowboys at St. Francis or St. John's or Hillcrest. There's no white, black, Hispanic. You're a father. 
The word eager here means to be in crisis mode. It means to make every effort. It means to lean into the unity of the church. And you gotta fight for it, friends. It doesn't come easy. They sit in the show, you just come watch. You are intricately involved in that process of being unified. This week, I read an article about how to talk to people who disagree with you, how to really listen for them, not just to them, how to hear each other out. C.S. Lewis wrote in the Screwtape Letters that the best thing for the Screwtape was reversed, right? It was written to the devils to tell them how to tempt the Christian. The best thing for the church is to get people into parties, into factions, and then let them just despise each other. Yeah, yeah, doctrine's important, but the less they care about, the better. Let's get them into factions. That's the real way. It's not through doctrine. It's through political parties. <sighs> Unity is beautiful, and you've got to fight for it. That's the purpose of Jesus' call in your life. Notice in verses 1 to 6, and then again in verses 11 to 16, it talks about the unity of God's church. But sandwiched in there in verses 7 through 10, it talks about the, the diversity of Christ's church. Jew and Gentile, Paul is pulling together in the shadows of Athena's temple in the first century Ephesian culture. And he's saying, you got to fight for unity because there's all kinds of reasons for you not to like each other. And then Paul goes on and he gives five examples of what these gifts are that Christ gives. He says that Christ gives gifts. What, is, what does that mean? It means that Christ gives you a spiritual gift. He has uniquely made you and shaped you in such a way that you have a way to serve his kingdom in a unique and special and very intentional way. Use it. Notice, notice what he says. He says that he gave, verse 11, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. He gives five examples here of leaders of Christ's church to be the foundation that helps the church move. That's not the only examples of spiritual gift. There are five lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament that cover over 20 different spiritual gifts. Administration and craftsmanship and communication and discernment, encouragement, faith, giving, healing, helps, hospitality, intercession, knowledge, leadership, mercy, teaching, tongues, wisdom. And those are even just examples. Listen, many of you are just crushing it using your gifts. And some of you... Some of you have been like E. King Gill sitting up in the press box for nine months looking down at the game and saying, oh, it's great to be able to participate in worship with all the pandemic, even through the joys of technology. It is amazing. And to think about the history of our church in just almost 10 years and the way that the Lord has used people here, it's been incredible. I mean, I think about Adrian Nowakowski seeking us out and saying, hey, how can I serve the church? And her coming to be an administrator for us for two years, giving herself to the church. I think about John, who, who helped set us up this morning. I think about Will using his gifts to disciple young men. And for crying out loud, he just shows up to worship and thinks, TJ needs some help, so I think I'll play the piano. I think about Dustin Dye, who uses his gifts to gather men on a Saturday at Trinity House to teach them about amateur radio operation. I think about Greg Roberts who uses his gifts to coordinate Sam's ministry 
every week to make sure that we have worship. Paul DeLaurier and Lori Simmons using their gifts to help review me and our staff so that we can be held accountable to our own job descriptions. I think about the role that Brad Rutman plays in hospitality, inviting dudes out to his land in Chelsea, or Stephanie using her gifts to encourage the teenagers. Should we go on? I mean, this is like the Hebrews 11 hall of faith of our church. It's beautiful. Brandon and Maddie Penner, who years ago moved to Owasso to help us pour into the lives of teenagers and get the youth group started. They moved here in part for this church. The story of Kim DeRoe using her gifts to disciple young women in her home or the story of David DeRoe using his gifts of craftsmanship to build beautiful spaces. The story of Blues Jack Frost and Kent Farish and Craig Weaver meeting on Wednesday morning to study Proverbs together to encourage each other in the Lord. It's beautiful. The story of James Cobarth and Nathan Keltner and Harlan Van Wy putting their minds together to think about the finances of our church and how we can do something with the beautiful plans that we have on the back table to build a beautiful facility, Lord willing, later this year for his glory. They're using their gifts. The story of Cher Agusto taking over women, women's ministry from Carol Hudson years ago and setting up Missy Parker to be able to thrive as she then took the reins from Cher. The story of Cher pouring her life into the women at, at the Demand Project or T.J. Warren pouring his heart and soul into orphans and widows and prisoners through Stand in the Gap. The story of Brett Pfeiffer using his design gifts to design a beautiful facility for our church. The story, should I go on, of Harrison Helmrick chairing the deacons to help navigate the deacons through all the physical needs of our church and then building beautiful cement structures for Crossland as the gathering place prepares to move into their new children's museum. This is big time kind of stuff. And some of you are like, yeah, I got the gift of gab. <laughs> I can chat it up pretty well. Well, sister, chat it up. Because that's the gift of fellowship, and we need some of that right now. I got the gift of, well, I can, I, can drive a, I can drive a car. Well, good. Well, we can take you next month to drive trucks for us to worship. I don't know if I'm not gifted. Listen, there was a woman in our church back in New Jersey. Her name was Marge Heenan. She was 85 or 6 years old. She had been at that church for 80 years. She was, she did everything in that church. She did communion for years. She did everything. And then she got older and she got slower and she hurt and she didn't know what she should do. And so Marge, Marge Heaton, every Sunday morning, would go to the dollar store and buy a box of candy. And she would go to that church every week. And Andrew and Andy don't remember her, but they were four and two when they last, we last worshiped there. And Marge Heenan, after worship, after the benediction, she would take candy and she would hand it to every kid in that church and say, the sweetest thing in your life is that Jesus loves you. And she encouraged the heck out of those children. And there were children who are now parents in that church. And they said, I will remember when Marge Heenan gave me a piece of candy. This is your church. This isn't my church. This isn't Pastor Scott's church. This is yours. Notice, notice what he says. There are apostles. Who are the apostles? The apostles, of course, there's three different kinds of apostles in Scripture. The apostles were the original 12 who had seen the risen Christ, who had been called by him to serve. The apostle Paul was the second kind of apostle as one untimely born, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
And then there were apostles, examples like Barnabas and Titus and Epaphroditus, people in Scripture called apostles. They were those who were the pioneers. They were the early church planters. They went in into an area that was the virgin soil to the gospel. They planted a church. There are apostles, and there are prophets who are prophets. Prophets are those who proclaim God's word and teach and preach in power. They're the ones who, with great intuition, know how to apply the gospel to people's hearts. Then there are the evangelists. Those are what they sound like. They're the ones who share, the, share Christ with others. And then there are pastors and teachers. The first three, apostles, prophets, and evangelists, are itinerant. They go in for a period of time. They, they go into the beachhead and start the work of the gospel, and then they move on. And then the pastors and teachers. It's probably really just one office, gift, I should say, gift. And describing this, he's talking about these are gifts, apostles, prophets, teachers, etc., not offices formally. And they are to serve. And notice what their function, what their role is. What is it that they're called to do? They are to, what does verse 12 say? Look at your Bibles or your bulletins with me. They are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. There's the job description. That's the role of your pastors. There's two pastors. There's three elders in this church. There's 250 of us. You do the math. Our jobs are to equip you for ministry. Our jobs are not to do ministry. One of your gifts to me, who just loves to do, 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 get stuff done, is to tell me, hey, that's the work of ministry. Quit doing that. Your job is to teach and preach and lead us. And it's your job, friends, to do the work of ministry. We have 250 members in our church, 250 ministers, rather, in our church. You are the one who is to do the work of ministry. But, but I don't know if I can do this. What about, please use your gift. We want you to do that. The number of nickels I have from people who say, I really would love to serve in some way, and I just want to say, I'm going to lead block for you. Let's do it. Well, what about the elders? Well, come, like, we are for you. Come to the elder meeting. Let us encourage you. I don't, I don't want to come to, no, the elder meetings are always open. We want you to come, and we just want you to hear us pray for you and commission you and encourage you and exhort you to use your gift. We need it. We need it. We need Nathan Duke to come up here and help lead us in worship as he goes through seminary and as he hones his calling to preach. Nathan, new, hi, Nathan is leading slides right now. Instead of being able to be here, why? Because we need somebody to volunteer to do slides. We need somebody to volunteer for the audio board. We need somebody to help volunteer for a hundred other things at our church. And that is not a guilt trip. That is just the honest, bold truth. And some of you in this church are like, yeah, I can do that. Come on. We need you. For many of your gifts, they aren't just formally used in the Sunday service at church, but they bleed out as you visit the shut-ins, as you care for the teenage moms, as you serve your neighbors, as you mentor a teenager, as you encourage an older saint and learn from them, as you mentor a younger person in our church, what, what are you doing with your life? I mean, Netflix is awesome. But it's not your life. Look around. These people, 
we have covenanted together in Christ's covenant body to be the church together. We need you. One of my goals in 2021, I'm just going to say it, is to do far less in this church so that we can do far more. And I pray that that's true as we, each of us, begin to step up and be able to recognize what our particular call is and how we can use our gifts for his glory. The price of Christ's gift, not only is the purpose of it to promote unity in the church, but what's the price of it? Here Paul quotes Psalm 68. It seems out of context a little bit because in Psalm 68, it's talking about a victor, whether that's Moses, there's different interpretations, or it's, it's leading the Levites out of their former ways of sin into renewal to serve Christ's temple. It says in Psalm 68 that he, Paul applies this to Jesus, ascended on high and he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, Paul is probably using a, 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 a history of interpretation of the Hebrew text that comes from the Targums. Because if you read Psalm 68, it says, and he received gifts from men. It seems like Paul mis misinterpreted the psalm. And, and Paul's source of what the psalm says, he's probably using a tradition from the Targums, which basically uses the word receive. I mean, and uses the word give, because when his point is in spoils of war, you receive the spoils of war, and then you disperse them and you gave them. And Jesus has taken from sin and death, he has taken us out of darkness, and he has put us into his marvelous light, and he says, now, I'm going to give you a gift from the Holy Spirit, and I want you to go use it. And if he ascended on high, what does that mean, Paul says? But that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth. That is, that Christ came in the incarnation to accomplish for you what you can never accomplish for yourself. The most gifted one of all of history, Jesus, perfect in every way, fully God and fully man. He came down and he gave of himself for you. So that you might be able to recognize that your purpose in life is to get out of the stands and get into the game. Not just to say, I'm so thankful that I'm a new believer in Jesus. Yes and amen. Don't just put the uniform on. Get on the field. It's scary. But it's exhilarating to get into the game for your team. The purpose of Christ's calling to use his gift is unity. The price of Christ's calling to use his gift is himself who died for you. What therefore does this produce in us? Notice what the rest of the text says. It says that it produces in us unity, verse 13. It moves us toward mature manhood. It helps us reach the stature, the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. The way that you use your gifts, friends, is the way the church is strengthened. Please use it. There's a story of a people group that's very special that live in the northeastern part of India and they are known as the Kasi people. The Kasi people for Thousands of years have lived in an area that is almost uninhabitable. It's a marshland 
It's a hilly place full of rivers and water. It's very difficult to build any kind of transportation through this area. And the Kasi people who live in this area have known for thousands of years what even modern technology and all of our great strides in construction have not been able to do. They have learned how we connect our villages together. And what they do is one generation will plant ficus trees next to a valley. And when the baby roots of those ficus trees grow, they take those baby roots and they stretch them toward the other side of the ravine. And they support those roots. And the next generation comes, and the next generation, the children tie those roots together. And they begin to form a kind of tree bridge across those valleys. And the next generation comes, and in 50 years, the roots are at the point where they can be walked on. And the next generation comes, and they begin to tie those roots together to form a trellis. And after 50 years, that trellis begins to become strong enough for a man to walk on. And they begin to slowly build each person, one person an expert at tying the vines, another person who is an expert at knowing where to plant the ficus trees for the next generation, another person knowing how to strengthen it. Each person moves toward building these tree bridges so that in the end, they're able to build these amazing marvels of architecture far beyond anything modern technology has been able to produce. Slow tech. <laughs> and they produce these vines to connect people together in the villages, and they are enabling hundreds of people to connect in areas of northeastern India, just north of Bangladesh, where no construction vehicles can get to. And eventually they began to build bridges so that they're just rem remarkable and amazing, aren't they? To have that kind of foresight is an unspeakable gift. And do you know what we're doing when we build a church? Back there on those pages, there's pictures of mortar and brick and cement. But do you know the strength of that church? It's you planting baby ficus trees. And every time you hand out a bulletin to somebody, you are extending those roots. And you may not ever be able to walk on the bridge you build or you start to build. But the next generation will. And eventually those trees are going to connect. And in this area of Owasso and of Tulsa, Two generations from now, they're going to say thank you for the foresight that you had to build a building like you had, to be able to use the gifts like you have, because we are called to just do our very small part in angling those roots toward the other side of the ravine. That is what Paul is talking about here. It's a kind of architecture and it's a kind of construction science that gets stronger as the years go by. Our bridges of infrastructure on I-44 crumble and fall, but these bridges actually get stronger as the years go by. That is the church. We strengthen each other. We hang in there. I know it's hard not to have kids and in, in, a, in, a, in Trinity Kids during the sermon, it's hard. 
I know it's hard, parents, if you're fighting to be able to offer more opportunities. We're in it together. And as you hear this sermon and as you feel the Lord calling you to serve, we need people to be able to help with kids in the months ahead. We need people to help with worship. You've noticed TJ's been up here many times by himself. We need some of you gifted to help him and do that. We need people to help with hospitality. We need people to be able to help with fellowship and encouragement. We need people to use your gifts. And if you don't know how to use your gift, let's discover what that gift is over this period of time of Lent. Friends, the joy, the beauty, the calling of Christ's church is for us to use our gifts to strengthen the body of Christ. Every one of us has at least one. What is your gift? You are a minister. Where are you ministering? Now the aim that Paul is driving us to is that it produces love. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's a beautiful call he has upon our life. And it starts with you. You are the minister in this church to use your gifts for his glory. And we are connected to Christ who is the head. And it's Christ who gives us the gift of his body and blood to strengthen us for that journey. So if you are here and you want to use your gift, let me just encourage you to write on your Connect card, I want to know how to find my gift. And Scott or I would be in touch with you and I would love to help coach you through a process to help discover what your gift might be and where you might be able to serve, whether it's in the church on a Sunday morning or it's outside of the church. And if you're here and you don't yet believe, but you see those bridges and you say, that's beautiful. And you look at the church and you say, yeah, that feels like a big bonfire, not a tree bridge. Well, welcome to a room full of sinners whose righteousness is an alien righteousness, who is being reformed week in and week out by the one who came to give his life for us and who we are about to commune with together in the supper. The Lord Christ loves you, and he wants you to use his calling. He wants you to get in the game. Hear the call. Let's pray together.